Welcome to the legacy teachings of Bill Anzavino, pastor of Christian Assembly Church since 1979. Though these teachings are decades old, we invite you to get out your Bible, take notes, and get ready to receive the uncompromised teaching of God's Word. For more information about Christian Assembly Church, please visit us online at cafamily.net. Matthew 25 and 23. His Lord said unto him, Well done, good and faithful servant. Thou hast been faithful over a few things. I will make thee ruler over many things. Enter thou into the joy of thy Lord. Our Father, we come before your presence to study your word together, inviting this teaching ministry of the Holy Ghost to enlarge our capacity to receive revelation, knowledge, and wisdom and understanding of all the things that pertain to life and godliness that we may rise up as doers of the word and not hearers only, that our faith would stand not in men's wisdom but in the power of the living God. We thank you for ears to hear, hearts to receive, and minds that are open to your word, dear Father God. And we thank you for all that will be accomplished within our midst. In Jesus' name, amen. In quick review of some of the things that we've been talking about, first of all, we've shared along the lines of certain principles that would enable us to live a life that is well-pleasing to the Father God, which should be our heart's desire. And the first principle we talked about was the principle of making Jesus Lord over our lives. Not just Savior, but also Lord over our lives in all areas of our lives. The second principle we talked about was the principle of obedience. And we pointed out how it's better to obey than to offer sacrifice. Obedience is better than sacrifice in the sight of God. Before going any further and introducing our third principle, I would just like to share for a moment on the Greek word epigonosko, which is a word translated knowledge in the New Testament. It's a Greek word that means exact, complete, or full knowledge. When it comes to these truths or any truth in the Word of God, we must come into exact knowledge of that truth in order to be made free. Knowledge is like light. And in the Word of God, it talks about the light in the believer's life becomes brighter and brighter more and more unto the perfect day. In other words, there are degrees of light. There are degrees of knowledge. And when we first hear something from the Word of God, that is the beginning of that light. But it doesn't mean that we have come into exact knowledge of that truth. We hear the truth about, let's say, healing. Or the truth about deliverance. Or the truth about financial assistance. Or the truth about making Jesus Lord or whatever. It doesn't mean that we have arrived to a place of exact knowledge in that truth. We are acquainted with that truth, but we want to increase in light or in knowledge until we get to a place of full, exact, complete knowledge. And so I would encourage all of us to continue studying along these lines so as to enter into a full, complete knowledge of the truths that we're talking about. Exact knowledge. It's just like when you're introduced to someone. You know that person, but you don't really know that person. You know them by name. 
and maybe by profession, but you don't really know that person deeply, intimately. You haven't entered into that full exact knowledge of that person, of his character, etc. The same thing is true with regard to biblical truths. We have some light, but the light must become brighter and brighter more and more into the perfect day. And you see, beloved, unless we realize this and, and understand it and then practice developing this exact knowledge, we take a truth from the Word of God and then what we end up doing is, is giving up on it because it's, it's not a reality to us because we haven't taken the time to continue looking into the light until it becomes brighter and brighter, more and more into the perfect day. I illustrated that when I taught about faith. If you recall the, the illustration of, the, of, of man when he began to look at the bird and he saw the bird and he saw that, hey, that bird can fly. If that bird can fly, so can I. Well, his first experience in trying to fly was a complete utter a failure. Put on some, uh, you know, made up some wings and put them on and just jumped off a garage and just fell flat on his face and probably broke his nose. I don't know. But he had the right idea and he had a little bit of light. There was just a little bit of light there. But he didn't stop just because he fell flat on his face the first time, did he? Man kept on looking at that bird and kept looking and looking and looking until all of a sudden more light came and then more light came and then more light came. And you can see over the years, there was a development of the light, of the knowledge, of the understanding of the laws of aerodynamics. And finally, we got to a place where the Wright brothers got off the ground. And since then, I think we've developed a whole lot in the law of aerodynamics, wouldn't you say? Landed on the moon, came back, etc. And God only knows you know, what else man is planning on doing in that field. But can you see if he would have quit, that would have been the end of it all? His knowledge or the light that he had was imperfect, but it began to increase by degree and measure. And it was perfected. As we look at these biblical truths, let's look at them understanding this, that we can grow into what is called epigonosco, exact full knowledge of that truth. And beloved, when we start entering into the full knowledge of the things of God, that's when the truth really sets us free. Amen. Now, I won't charge you a nickel for that. Let's continue. Our next or third principle when it comes to living a life that is well-pleasing to the Father God is the principle of faithful servitude or being faithful or faithfulness. Any way you want to say it is okay with me. Faithful servitude. Our text here... Matthew 25 and 23 says, His Lord said unto him, Well done, good and faithful servant. Thou hast been faithful over a few things. I will make thee ruler over many things. Enter thou into the joy of the Lord. Now, this text connects, of course, with the parable of the talents, which is a parable given by our Lord Jesus Christ that reveals to us or teaches us certain truths. First of all, it teaches us the fact that it's our responsibility as children of the Most High God to use our talents and abilities for God. By this parable, Jesus is revealing to us the fact that God has gifted all of us with certain talents and abilities. Here he's talking about a certain amount of money. But it also can include certain talents or abilities that a person has 
been given by God for the purpose of using those talents and abilities to glorify God on this earth. And so each and every one of us, no matter who we are, you might say, well, you don't understand. I, I can't do a whole lot. But you know what? You can do something. He didn't say you had to do more than, than what he expected of us or you. He said, just use what you have. Whatever it is that you can do, do it for my honor and for my glory. The second thing it teaches us is the fact that the demands of God will be in proportion to the talents that are given to the person. God doesn't, he's not unjust and expect us to do something that we are absolutely incapable of doing. If there's something that he wants us to do that is, let's say, beyond our reach, it is his responsibility then to anoint us or to gift us with supernatural abilities so that we can accomplish that purpose in his will. Other than that, we are required of him to use what we have, whatever it is that we have, to glorify his name upon the earth and to advance his kingdom. And he's not going to place demands upon our lives that are, you know, beyond our reach. We are going to be able to do it because he has gifted us. He has enabled us. And no matter what it is he wants us to do, he will anoint us. He will take that natural thing and anoint us and endow us with supernatural abilities so that we can be successful in carrying out the program of his will. The third thing that this parable teaches us is the fact that there's going to come a day that we're all going to have to give account of ourselves before him. They all went before the master and they gave account of themselves. What did they do with their ability or with their talents? How did they use it? Were they used for gain, for profit, or to no avail? And so we see then there's going to come a day or there's going to arrive a time when even each of us will give our individual account before God. And so we see that. We understand that. But also, we discover that it reveals to us a fourth truth, which is that God will reward those who are faithful, who use their talents and abilities to promote His kingdom here upon this earth. Those who... Use what God has gifted them with to his honor and to his glory. They shall be rewarded on the other side. And of course, as we read in Timothy, godliness is profitable unto all things, having the promise of the life that now is and also of that which is to come. And so here Jesus is talking about faithfulness or being a faithful servant. And he reveals to us certain truths with regard to that subject. And I believe that we all should look into it with intensity of heart. And glean all the light that we possibly can out from it so that we can realize and recognize our responsibilities and duties as individuals before God to do whatever we can what, you know, with, with what's in our power, with what is in our abilities to do so that we can glorify God upon this earth. Also, I want to point out something about being faithful and what it involves in our lives. Sometimes people think, well, I'm a faithful Christian. I go to church, you know, twice a week, three times a week. Maybe you meet once a week whenever your church meets. And I'm also faithful because I do, you know, through these other things, I help out here and I help out there. And so then we have the wrong idea of what faithfulness really means or what being faithful really means. I mean, it's wonderful to do those things and we should do those things because we do love God. But. I'm talking about something deeper than that. I'm talking about a motivation of the heart and, 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 a, and a clear, concise understanding of what God says it means to be faithful. And we see here 
in the word, if you look at verse 23 again, his Lord said unto him, well done, good and faithful servant. Being faithful involves being God's servant. Being faithful involves being God's servant or being a servant of God. And that's something we've got to understand. It's not just in the things that we do, but it's who we are. We are servants of the Most High God. Notice he says, good and faithful servant. Do you see that? We are servants of the Most High God. Now, what does that imply? Well, hold your place there. We'll probably refer back to it. But look at 2 Timothy chapter 2 and verse 19. And this will give us a better understanding of what it means to practice being a faithful servant of the Most High God or faithful servitude. In 2 Timothy chapter 2 and verse 19. First of all, being a faithful servant implies the service of sin and Satan has been abandoned in a person's life. In 2 Timothy 2 and verse 19. Nevertheless, the foundation of God standeth sure, having this seal. The Lord knoweth them that are His... And let every one that nameth the name of Christ depart from iniquity. But in a great house there are not only vessels of gold and of silver, but also of wood and of earth, and some to honor and some to dishonor. If a man therefore purge himself from these, he shall be, called, he shall be a vessel unto honor, sanctified and meet for the master's use and prepared unto every good work. First of all, being a faithful servant implies that we have forsaken serving sin and Satan. We are departing from iniquity. So being faithful to Christ is seen in one's forsaking sin and Satan. Before we accepted Christ as Savior and Lord, we were all servants of sin and Satan and unrighteousness. And it was a natural thing within our hearts to obey the darkness that existed there. But because we've accepted Christ, we have repented, we are now saved by the blood of Jesus Christ. We are servants of the Master. And it says, as it says right here, meet for the Master's use, which is implying we are servants who are fit or prepared for the Master's use. And so we forsake then a lifestyle of sin. We forsake the Lordship of Satan Jesus is our Lord. We depart. We make our break from iniquity. We no longer serve sin. And we do what our master wants us to do. We know that we can't serve two masters. And that's what Jesus taught in the parable. He said, you can't serve two masters. You can't live for yourself or for, for Satan or sin. And for God at the same time. And so we forsake that kind of a lifestyle. And as a servant who is faithful unto God, we depart from iniquity and we begin living for Him. And so we see being faithful then involves a whole lot more than just church attendance or doing certain things that we think would help out the kingdom of God. It involves an attitude of one's heart in recognizing the fact that he is a servant of the Most High God. And so it's my responsibility as a servant to make myself fit, prepared for the Master's use. 
I make that break from serving sin, I forsake that, and I choose to live for God, to do the will of God. We see a second thing implied here also, that service for Christ, as far as we are concerned anyhow, has been carefully, cheerfully, and as far as we are concerned, solemnly pursued and assumed. We see to it that it's something that we long to do. We assume the responsibility of serving Him with joyfulness of heart. We see to it that we are prepared. We are ready. We are the ones who long to do His will. And we make ourselves available to be used of Him, of God, so that His will will be accomplished upon the earth. Look at verse 21 again. If a man therefore purge himself from these, notice, if he purges himself from these, he shall be a vessel unto honor. See, we make the break, we depart from iniquity, and what we do is solemnly assume the responsibility of being the servant of the Most High God. The faithful servant is the one who prepares himself, who makes himself available to God, to be the vessel of honor, set apart, sanctified, meet, or prepared for the Master's use, prepared unto every good work. So we are the ones He is waiting for. He's looking upon the circle of the earth, and He sees all of us here. And He's looking, His eyes are running to and fro, and He is looking for those whose hearts are upright before Him, who say, Look, here I am, Lord. I have only what I have to offer you. It's me. You know my limitations. You know the talents and abilities that you have placed in my life. I make a break from iniquity. I turn my back on a lifestyle of sin. I choose to make myself available to you to be used of Jesus Christ upon this earth. That I may be that vessel of honor, which means my heart motives and my desires are correct. They're not wrong. They're not improper. I am not seeking my own personal gain. I'm here to serve you. I'm here to do your will. I am emptying myself of self, self-will, aspirations and desires that don't align with your will for my life. And so whatever it is that you want to do, I am prepared. I am ready. I am available. I am usable. I make myself usable. I am your servant. I am here for your purpose and for your pleasure, dear Father God. And that's what we're telling him. And that's what it means to be a faithful servant. And that's what faithful servitude involves. Because then out of that, born out of that is what? He sees the attitude of the heart. He hears the cry of that person's heart. He sees his condition. And then he begins to fill him up with new desires and new aspirations. And he shows him how he can be a useful, productive member within the body of Christ. And born out of that intimacy of fellowship with Him, we have certain things that He directs us into. And we know that we're going to be best used of Him because He's telling us exactly what He wants us to do for Him on this earth. And so this is one who has departed from iniquity. He has become a vessel of honor. He pursues a lifestyle that will be pleasing to God by serving Him faithfully. Thirdly, it also means that Christ's authority and commands are fully recognized in that person's life. The faithful servant clearly recognizes, he understands Christ's authority and observes his, his commandments. I want you to turn while I'm saying that to the book of Revelation chapter 2. This is so important. 
It's not just for a short period of time that one makes a decision to become that vessel of honor and submit to the authority of Christ and walk His commandments. No, this person in His commandments, one recognizes that Christ is His Master. Yes, He is Lord and Savior. He's also His Master. And we are His servants. And as servants of the Most High God, we make a dedication of our lives, of our will to depart from iniquity and see to it that we fulfill our highest calling, which is what? To seek to know His will for my life. I can't seek to know His will for your life. I must do it for myself and my life. That is my responsibility as a servant who goes to his master and says, Master, what, it is that, what is it that you'd have me to do for you today? You are the master. I am the servant. What can I do for you? How can I best please you with my life? Shall I go here? Shall I do this? Shall I do that? What is it that I can do for you? The highest calling upon anyone's life is the calling of faithful servitude. He is my master. I am his servant. It's my responsibility to constantly seek his face, to put myself in a position where I can hear his voice, to do his, so I can know his will, to do his will. For the most part, I believe so many are out there who want to do his will, but they haven't heard his voice. They don't know what to do. They don't know what his will is. Can you see that? And so the highest calling then is to do what? To be faithful as a servant, to seek his face. Go talk to the master. Talk it over with him. Find out what his heart's desire is for your life. Do you see that as being the highest calling? And then, of course, he'll reward us with giving us direction, enabling us to understand what he would have us to do. Well, we are to walk in his commandments and tell him that we want to best serve you with our lives, but not for a short period of time. But for how long? Revelation chapter 2. Verse 10, verse 10, fear none of those things which thou shalt suffer. Behold, the devil shall cast some of you into prison that you may be tried and ye shall have tribulation ten days. Be thou faithful for a few days, for a few hours, for a few months, for a few years. No. Faithful servitude involves an attitude of one's heart that regardless of the things we suffer in this life, no matter what it is that comes against us to remove us from the will of God, no matter what pressure is placed upon our lives, no matter what the circumstances are, He is the Master. We are the servants. We seek His face. We want to know His will. He may reveal certain things uh, like he did right here. You may have to suffer a few things if you take that course of action. But it's my desire that you take the course of action. You know, we are to suffer tribulation for his namesake. We know that already. We've been told that in the word of God. And so as a result, we are dedicated to that even unto death. It's a decision of the heart. He is my master. I am his servant. And unto death will I be faithful. He has my life. I don't fear anything else. The only thing I fear is displeasing Him with my life. And so you see, faithful servitude involves, once again, this attitude of heart. Yes, there'll be rough places. There'll be trying times. But because you've made a decision to be faithful unto death, you're unwavering in your commitment. Can you see the importance of this, beloved? Hallelujah. Well, now, what about the essentials of servitude? 
Hebrews chapter 11 and verse 6. Hebrews chapter 11 and verse 6. So now we know that we are to be faithful servants. Now we know that we are to seek His face so as to know His will. As we depart from iniquity, that we may hear His voice, to be obedient to His commandments, so that we can use to the best of our ability the divine gifts, the impartation of natural talents and abilities, so as to please Him, to promote His kingdom, to do His will upon this earth. Everything that we have came from God. Even natural talents and abilities, they come from God. They are anointed when one makes a decision to serve God with the power of the Holy Ghost. And by the, that anointing, there is an enhancement upon those abilities that otherwise would not be experienced. That enables us to accomplish the will of God. Because God's work is never achieved or accomplished on earth, beloved, through natural powers or strengths. As the Word of God teaches us, it's by the power of the Holy Ghost, not by the power of human might. But that's not disregarding the fact that God has placed natural talents and abilities within us. We come to recognize that they are enhanced by the power of the Holy Ghost. And we still use them to the honor and glory of God. But we use them under the anointing of the Spirit of God. And they become more effective in reaching out in the spiritual realm to accomplish the purpose of the Father's will. Number one, the first essential of faithful servitude. What is it? Hebrews eleven six. But without faith it is impossible to please Him. For he that cometh to God must believe that he is, and that he is a, a rewarder of them that diligently seek him. Make note of it. It's diligence. The first essential of faithful servitude is diligence. Why? Didn't back in that parable Jesus say that one was slothful? And because of his slothfulness, he didn't profit the kingdom of God? He didn't experience any gain. He didn't use what he had. He just took it and hid it. He didn't use it. He hid it in the earth. You know, many can do the same thing. And if we can spiritualize that just a little bit, we can take what natural talents and abilities that we have and just get it all hidden or lost in, in the physical realm in which we live. It's God-given. It's God-ordained. But it's not used for God. So it's just hidden you know, along with the many others that exist out here in the world, in the earth. And it's never used to glorify God. You know, sometimes it just makes my heart so sad when I see gifted people. And I'm talking about really gifted people in all realms of life who don't use their gifts for God to glorify God. Sometimes I'll hear a, a, a vocalist, someone who sings well, you know, and I, and I think that person is not using what God gave them to glorify Him. And, and you think, oh my goodness, if they only could get on fire for Jesus and use it to promote the kingdom of God. And others have a, a, a mind that God gave them with, with regard, let's say, to business or, or finance, finances. And, you know, and they can use it to help promote the work of God. But it's not being used to channel that into the kingdom of God. It's used for personal gain or whatnot. And, and we can go on and just list so many different abilities and talents that many have that have come from God that are not used to glorify God or to bring honor to His name upon this earth or to advance His kingdom. And it's just, you, know, you just know that, my goodness, God gave them all that. If they would only use it, how much better off the kingdom of God would be here upon this earth and how, quicker, how much quicker we could bring back Jesus. And so we see diligence is so important. What it means is, is persevering application. This person persists. This is persevering application. Say, what do you mean? God rewards diligence. 
He rewards persevering application. We already said for how long. It's unto death. It's all the way unto death. This person continues to depart from iniquity. He continues to seek the face of the Lord, his master. He continues to make himself available to be used of God. He doesn't do it for five years of his life. And then all of a sudden, he just goes his own way and gets caught up in a sin once again. And then does his own thing with his life once again. He begins to achieve or to fulfill his own aspirations in life once again. No, he does it under death. Just because there were hard places, just because there were trials and tribulations and circumstances of adversity, it doesn't mean he quits. He is a diligent person. He is a faithful servant who believes in faithful servitude, who recognizes it may be tough. It's not all a bed of roses. It's not all this hoopla and shouting and all the hype that sometimes we think it is. It means diligence. It means hard work. It means labor in the kingdom of God. But praise God Almighty, because we have such a faithful high priest who loved us, who washed us from our sins in his own blood. We are faithful to him. We are his servants and we will not quit. We will continue to make ourselves available unto God to be used of the Lord Jesus to promote the kingdom of God here upon this earth. God rewards those that diligently seek Him and continue to use their talents and abilities to glorify His name. Remember what Jesus says? Continue in my word. Stay diligent. Persevere in the word. Not for a short time. Unto death. No matter what it involves. Unto death. Stay faithful to the word of God. But you say, you don't understand, uh, brother, you don't understand the, the hurt that I just experienced in my life because of these circumstances and all that. I've kind of lost my spiritual initiative. I understand. But you know what? Whether it's you, whether it's me or anybody else in the kingdom of God, we've got to encourage one another to stay faithful as servants of the Lord Jesus Christ. Get our eyes off of people. Get our eyes on Him, the Master. And I'll tell you what. He'll help us keep our heads on straight. That's an anchor for the soul. You know what an anchor does for a boat? It keeps it fixed, even in a storm. It's an anchor for the soul. We're going this way. I hurt so bad inside, but I've got an anchor for the soul. My emotions want to do this, but I have an anchor for the soul. I'm following Jesus all the way. Yeah, we've all been hurt. Yeah, we've all been tried. Yeah, we've all had trials and tribulations, but you know what? Our soul's anchor. We've got on the helmet of salvation. We have a purpose in life. Our lives are precious in the sight of God. We're going on the way. We've got to serve Him. Under death, we have to serve Him. No matter how much it hurts in, in certain cases, we serve Him with our lives. We're being used of the Master. God rewards those that diligently seek Him and continue in the face of all adversity to use His natural talents and abilities to glorify the Father God. It also involves something else. Number two, constancy. Look at James chapter 1, constancy. Or being steadfast in mind, the ability to remain unchanging or immovable from our position in Christ, regardless of circumstances. He is our master. No matter what the situation, in matters public, He is our master and we're not ashamed of Him. In matters secret or private, He's our master, we're not ashamed of Him. In matters domestic, He is our master, we're the servant. We're still going to be obedient to Him and faithful in all these important areas of our lives. In James chapter 1, verse 2, My brethren, count it all joy when you fall into diverse temptations. He didn't say if, He said when. Amen. See, sometimes we don't read right. I thought if I believed in the faith message, I'd never have a problem. And you didn't see this hangnail? 
Well, you miss her. You're going to have more than a hangnail. If that's all you have, praise God for it. You'll be attacked from every direction. I'll let you know right now, you'll probably have it harder than the one who wants to stay out there and not do anything. Because you've made a bold statement. You said, Satan, your works are done in my life. You said, Satan, you're not going to take my family from me. You said, devil, I've made a break from you and your kingdom. I'm serving God all the way. And because of that bold statement that you made, you'll be tried. He'll come against you to sift you like wheat, as he said to Peter, to find out what stuff you're made up of. But even in the midst of all the trials and the circumstances, the trial of our faith is precious. Praise God. It's like being refined in a refiner's fire coming out like pure gold. And we say, I'm not caving in. I'm not going under. I don't care how high the water is. It doesn't matter to me. In all the matters of life, Jesus is my Lord. And I'm remaining immovable, invincible. Why? Because I'm constant. Like the Father, I don't change. Do you see that? Now, wait a minute. You're contradicting yourself. You said we're supposed to constantly be in a state of change. I know. In certain areas. Constantly being renewed in the spirit of our mind. But when it comes to your position in Christ, you are unchanging. Just because you've encountered difficulty, that Bible says right over there, count it all joy. When you fall into it. Why? Because the trying of your faith works. Patience. Stability. Making us immovable. But what if I cry and squall and bawl? It worketh instability, making you, making you movable, insecure. God is unchanging in our lives, beloved. He is unchanged. We are unchanging in our position in Christ. So let the waters come. Let the tides rise up. We will not sink. We'll not go under. Let the fire, let it be heated up. But you know what? As we walk to the fire, he says, I will be with you. Didn't he say that? And when the floodwaters come up to try to, 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 to cause you to drown, what did he say? You'll pass through those waters because I will be with you. I've called you by my name. You belong to me. You can't go under. So you say, I'm unchanging. I count this joy. Hallelujah. I count it a joy. I'm serving God with my life. And because I know I am, I'm not going to be moved. And I'm not going to be defeated. Praise God. He made me more than a conqueror and he's on my side. So let patience in verse 4 have a perfect work that you may be perfect and entire, wanting nothing. Entering into a place of stability in Christ where we are immovable, invincible, unchanging, constancy, steadfastness of mind, unchanging in the midst of circumstances. What else? What is another essential of faithful servitude? Deuteronomy 28, since you asked. And verse 47. It's called the essential of cheerfulness. The essential of cheerfulness. We're talking about faithful servitude. Being a faithful servant. It involves a whole lot more than just saying I make three services a week. It is a condition of the spirit. It is a position of the heart. It is one who makes the break from iniquity. It's the one who says I'm available to God. It's one who says I'm usable. Here I am. Take my talents. Take my abilities. Anoint me from on high. I'll do your will. That's what it means. Deuteronomy 28, 47. We're talking about serving God. Because thou. Deuteronomy 28, 47. Because thou servitest not the Lord thy God with joyfulness and gladness of heart for the abundance of all things. 
Therefore shalt thou serve thine enemies, which the Lord shall send against thee in hunger, in thirst, in nakedness, and one of all things. He shall put a yoke of iron upon thy neck until he have destroyed thee. I think we should be cheerful. In other words, this is what this is saying. We don't serve God out of fear of death or hell. And that's why I just, it just, when I hear all this hellfire and brimstone going on, you know, beloved, I don't have to tell you that sin will send you to hell. If I have to tell you that something is wrong from the word go with your relationship with God. Because the wages of sin have never changed. They're always death. Can you say amen? That's just the way it is. And when we browbeat people, all we do is get them further away from serving God. See? Fear of going to hell. Fear of eternal death. It's a fact that people that don't love or serve God will find their eternity in the lake of fire. Read the back of the book. It's there. But listen to me. We should be a people that encourages other people to serve God out of love. Joyfully and cheerfully. Because he said they were in hunger and they were in want and they were all bound up and afflicted because they didn't serve the Lord their God with joyfulness and cheerfulness or gladness of heart for the abundance of all things. Being a faithful servant involves the essential of cheerfulness. Being full of joy in doing so. We serve him because we love him. We live for Him because we love Him. We delight in knowing and doing the will of God. That is the delight of our heart. When we hear about what the will of the Lord is, once again, we throw ourselves into it. We thrust our whole hearts into it. Why? Because we love Him. Because He's so good. Who wouldn't want to serve someone so good? So loving and so kind. Someone who is so perfect. Someone who gave so much for us to have life. Why wouldn't we want to serve Him joyfully? And cheerfully. It's not a sorrowful thing to serve God, beloved. It's the greatest thing in the universe. It's the most wonderful thing to be experienced upon, upon this earth. In all mankind, there isn't anything more rewarding or more satisfying or you know, anything that can, can be such a blessing to our lives. Serving God joyfully and cheerfully is an essential of faithful servitude. And when one does it, he experiences the abundance of all things. The abundance. God doesn't take away. He gives a whole lot more. And so let's not forget that, beloved. And then there's another one. It's called devoted fidelity and zeal. Devoted fidelity and zeal. The scripture says the zeal of God has consumed us. And what that means is that we don't serve God in formality and unconcern. No, but the faithful servant enters into the things of God with all of his heart. He doesn't just become uh, one who just is lost in the crowd, puts in his time on Sunday morning, has a religious form about him, goes through the motions of serving God. But this is one who is faithful and full of zeal. I mean, the zeal of God is burning upon the altar of his heart. It is consuming him. It is his complete desire. From within, he enters fully into the things of God. From within, in every part of his being, he is electrified to know that he can do the will of God and please God with his life upon the earth. And so those fires continue to burn from within his inward parts. 
And he yields his first and his best powers to God for his service and for his will. In other words, this is the best that I have to offer. It's the first and best power. It's yours. I give it to you, Father God. It's yours. And he thrust his whole life into it. And beloved, when one does that, as I said, God does not take it lightly. He rewards those that diligently seek him. And also, he rewards those that, that are faithful to the end. To those that will not turn back, but they say they're going to finish their course. Christ has the, the preeminence in their lives. And they're going to live, all, live totally for God all the way through their lives. There's no turning back. Well, beloved, this person, if you go right on back to, to Matthew, let's do that. Chapter 25, this person whose fire of zeal is burning on the altar of his heart is one then as a result becomes, who becomes faithful in matters that are small as well in, as in matters that are great. In other words, he has just as much fire burning on the inside of him to accomplish a small thing for God as he would if it was something of large proportions. Do you see that? Oh, it's not big enough for me to do. He doesn't talk like that. But God has called me to be the prophet. And they wanted me to hand out bulletins. Can I prophesy at the door? If God called you to be a prophet and you start out passing out bulletins, you will do it with fire. You will do it with zeal. I'll tell you what, anybody to get by you going to get blessed. Because when they touch your hand to shake your hand, electricity will go through. It will be the fire of the Holy Ghost will go through them. Because you take matters small, serious. And as far as you are concerned, the faithful servant of God, no matter is too small. It's all important in the kingdom of God. And that's your heart's desire, is to see to it. Even the small things are taken care of because you're faithful to do the will of God. Can you see that? And God will promote you. If God called you to be the prophet, you'll enter into that ministry that He has for you. But the fires of zeal, they never diminish. They never diminish. You're always fueled up. You're always fired up. It doesn't matter how small the task is for God. You are faithful with small, he said. You'll be faithful with great things. And that's what Jesus taught here in Matthew uh, 25. Now, the rewards. And I want you to see this in verse 23. The rewards. See, it's not all giving. There's also a part of receiving. And so let's not forget that. We're not motivated by that. Well, let's see how much God will give to us. We're not motivated by that. We're motivated by love. It's because we love God. You know why we love each other? Because we love God so much. And He loves us so much. And His commandment is to love each other. Not out of a fear. But out of love for each other. Because we love Him, we love each other. You say, but you don't understand. We have all these faults and shortcomings and character flaws and all that. Welcome to the real Christian world. But brother, I thought when I became a Christian, especially when I started going to Christian assembly, everybody would be perfect. 
spiritually mature, no one would ever make a mistake. Welcome to the real Christian world. We are made up of human beings who have been saved by His grace. We're on the road to glory. We have a lot of changing to do. On the way, He says, No, no man after the flesh. Thanks be to God. Because we're not flawless. We're all going to make mistakes. We all have frailties. We all have shortcomings. And we all have regrets. I'm going to say something I want to hear a hearty amen to. But thanks be to God for the blood of Jesus Christ. Hallelujah. Thanks be to God for the blood of Jesus Christ. For if it were not for the blood of Jesus Christ, none of us would make it. Praise God. God rewards faithful servitude, beloved. Does He? Yes, He does. And I want you to hear it. And I want, like I said, this is the first maybe initial light. But glean what you can and get a whole lot more by studying this through. Because, beloved, God wants us to know that there is and there are rewards. There is a reward. There are rewards when it comes to being a faithful servant. Look at verse 23. His Lord said unto him, Well done, good and faithful servant. Thou hast been faithful over a few things. Or small things, as one says, I'll make thee ruler over many things. Enter thou into the joy of thy Lord. Circle that word, ruler. What are the rewards of faithfulness or faithful servitude? I love God. I've given Him my life. I've served Him. And I've continued to do so. You know, I'm going to finish out my course in doing it. No matter what it is. Well, tell me, brother, what's God going to do then? Well, that's okay to find out because didn't Abraham say, well, what's in it for me if I give you my life? Didn't Abraham say that to God? He did. And God said, well, I'll I'll be your El Shaddai. Oh, that's enough for me. (laughs) I'll be El Shaddai unto you if you'll give me your life, who is the God of plenty, who is more than enough. In other words, wherever, you know, whenever problems come or, or wherever there's a problem in your life, he said, look, I'll be more than enough. Equal to any task. More than enough in your life, Abraham, if you just serve me. And so Abraham said, I will. Okay, so there are rewards for service. Well, look at here. He says, number one, I'll make you a ruler. What is the first reward of faithful servitude? Everybody say with me, dignity. Dignity, dignity is the first reward of faithful servitude. He says, I'll make you a ruler. And you look in the book of Revelation, and what does it tell us? Here we see that God's faithful servants were exalted, they were glorified, they were dignified before assembled worlds. I'm not talking about those three platforms we see on television when someone wins the gold medal. And we see all the nations of the people, all people of the nations gathered around together in this great auditorium during the Olympic competition. And someone from the United States of America wins the gold medal in a specific event. And all of a sudden, they are honored and dignified and glorified and exalted on the middle stand, the platform where they stand tall, victorious. I won the gold, which gives them prestige and and probably a, a, a productive lifestyle after that because of their accomplishments and achievements, the recognition, the notoriety. You know, being in Sports Illustrated or whatever it is, maybe find yourself on the front of a Wheaties box. I don't know. 
Who knows? Promotions galore. But there they are on the platform before the people of the nations. Everybody's applauding them. The national anthem begins to play. They're in the spotlight. Honor among the people of the nations. It's not that kind of honor. It's not that kind of dignity. God says, you'll be on my platform. God says, I'll dignify you. You want to see dignity? I will exalt you. I will glorify you. I'll give you dignity beyond comprehension. There I will confess you. There I will make you a ruler among all the worlds. They'll see. And the leaders of all the worlds will see as he confesses you. Good and faithful servant, you are the ruler over whatever it is. He crowns him with glory that will never fade away. He's glorified by God Almighty in front of all the leaders of the world. And I believe with all of my heart that Satan the defeated will be right there and he'll be envious and part of his suffering and pain will be the suffering of pain and shame because he has been brought low and people like us are exalted, glorified, dignified by the almighty God himself. Can you imagine that? Before all the worlds. What else is there? This one is in Ephesians 2, so you can hold your place there. We'll see the third one back here. But in Ephesians chapter 2, there are riches. There are riches, beloved. In Ephesians chapter 2 and verse 7. Now in this life, yes, there are rewards. And yes, there are riches. But the riches are not to be compared to the riches that we'll experience on the other side. Now we experience the riches of His grace. And we thank Him for that. But, beloved, there's going to come a day when we'll experience the unbounded celestial treasures and blessings of eternity. Here they are defined as being the exceeding riches of His grace. Look at verse 7. That in the ages to come, that in the ages to come, what will happen? He might show the exceeding riches of His grace and His kindness toward us through Christ Jesus. Now we have the riches of His grace, but, beloved, then the exceeding riches of His grace. Now I hath not seen, neither ear heard, nor has entered into the heart of man the things that God has prepared for them that love Him. But, the next verse says, He has revealed them to us by His Spirit. So we have a revelation. We have an inward revelation of things that we have not seen, not heard, and have never entered into the heart of man. Okay? And so, in that we delight, because we have the riches of His grace right now. We know there's something great on the other side, but our eyes have not seen, our ears have not heard. We have a revelation of it, a witness of it inside of our spirits. But, beloved, there's going to come a day when there's going to be an, the, we'll experience the unbounded celestial treasures and riches of the glory of God defined as being the exceeding riches of His grace and His kindness to all of us who believe. See, it's so beyond our understanding, we can't even begin to to fathom right now what it's all going to be like because our eyes haven't seen it our ears haven't heard but beloved when you enter into it it's riches untold it's glory beyond imagination riches that are ours because we've served him God is not selfish or greedy he shares all that he has with those that love him and serve him 
Now let's go back and close it right there. In Matthew 25 and verse 23. What is another reward of faithful servitude? Does it pay to be a faithful servant to the Most High God? You know it does, beloved. A life that is well-pleasing to God is a life that is dedicated to faithful servitude. I'm here for the duration. I'll be used of Jesus Christ. You have my abilities, my talents, and all that I am is yours, Father God. Use me as you see fit, that I may be that vessel of honor prepared for the Master's use. Check this one out. Verse 23, the latter part. I will make thee ruler over many things. That's dignity. We'll experience riches untold. Then he says, finally, enter thou into the joy of thy Lord. Have you ever considered that deeply? I know that here in this life we have joy unspeakable. How many of you experienced unspeakable joy when you were saved? In other words, it was something that happened on the inside of you that you could not put into words. Words are inadequate to describe the joy of being saved, right? You ready for this? That thing on the inside, we're going to enter into in reality. Enter thou into the joy of thy Lord. That's what he's talking about. We're limited by this flesh, this body that we have. See, it's joy unspeakable now. But now you're going to enter in. It's just like jumping into the ocean of joy. Jumping into the ocean of heavenly joy, eternal joy over there on the other side. Now we have rays of joy in our lives. You know, it's because of that light that's on the inside. But then, beloved, we'll be surrounded by the meridian splendor. Of eternal joy. It's just like the rays of the sun being poured out and the glory thereof. But we're going to do one day is just like jump on the sun and enter into it. And just see that sun as being the joy of our Lord. And down here we've got a joy tan. You have a joy tan? Like a sun tan? We're going to enter into it. We're going to just dive right on into it. There's going to be a joy that's going to be speakable. Because then we'll have unlimited abilities of mind. And we'll know how to express the joy of being in the presence of the Most High God. And you see, beloved, that is a reward of faithful servitude, dignity, riches untold, and also entering into the fullness of joy which is the joy of our Lord. In closing, I just want to state that there are three things that bear on the glory that we experience when we depart from this realm of life. And if you'll read through the Scriptures, you'll discover number one being holiness. We've been called to be holy. And if we will walk in holiness, that will have an effect upon the glory that we experience when we depart to be with Him on the other side. Number two, we read also that the light affliction that we encounter is, is, is but for a moment, but it works for us a far more exceedingly eternal weight of glory in our lives. If we'll suffer as we should properly for Jesus, we're talking about tribulation, 
you know, trials and, and that adversity and all that. In some cases, like Paul, he suffered imprisonment. He talked about different things, some things that he suffered in his own personal life as a result of the calling of God upon his life. That works for that person a far more eternal weight of glory in his life. And the third thing is what we're talking about here today, and it's called usefulness. We just saw it right there. Usefulness. And if we'll all give ourselves to the Lord and be used of Him upon this earth to do His will, beloved, and, that, and, and do so unto death, finishing our course, the Bible says there'll be stored for us a crown of glory that will not fade away. The crown of glory, working that eternal weight of glory in our lives for our usefulness in the kingdom of God. And so, beloved, I, I dare say that each, every, each and every one of us has a gift or a talent or ability that can be used to glorify God or to advance His kingdom. And you know what? It's not beyond your reach. If you'll just do it for God, no matter what it is, you may be a prolific writer. If you'll write things that will bless other people, God will use that to His honor and you'll be rewarded. Maybe you are one who has zeal when it comes to standing on a street corner and telling someone about Jesus. Just use that God-given gift and ability that you have for Him. Someone else, you know, you may have organizational skills and as a result, you organize things for the, in the kingdom of God and you use what God has given you to promote his kingdom to hook up somewhere with those that will you know allow you to use those talents and abilities to to promote the kingdom of god whatever it is you may have skills along the lines of music musical talents and abilities uh, a voice a singing voice that that you know can be used to glorify god whatever it is maybe you're a good sow, sower you can sow real well you're a good seamstress or whatever it is you can use it and, and you can use this for your own personal gain and help other people around you, but you can also use it for the kingdom of God, for the glory of God. There are things that you can do with that ability that will promote Jesus Christ. There's no question in my mind about that. No matter what it is. Maybe you're a good um, a block layer and you can find yourself a situation where you can go help some people build a church or something like that. Whatever your talent is, whatever your ability is, it doesn't matter what it is. If you use it for God, that's what matters. And the end result will be that far... You're experiencing that far more eternal weight of glory because you've done it for the glory of God. You've done it with the right heart, motive, and attitude and intent. And God is glorified. Hallelujah. Amen. Thank you for listening to our legacy teachings. We pray today's message has a profound impact upon your life and your ministry. I want you to know that God loves you, has a great plan for your life. But if you've never made Jesus Christ Lord and Savior of your life, I'd like to invite you to do that right now. Just pray this simple prayer right after me. Just say, Heavenly Father, I come to you just as I am. And I believe with all my heart that Jesus died for my sins and was raised from the dead for me. I open the door of my heart. I call upon the name of the Lord. Lord Jesus, come into my heart now. I receive you and accept you as my personal Savior and Lord. If you prayed that prayer with me, you're a child of God right now, and I encourage you to get into a good Bible-based church where you can learn to grow in your Christian faith and experience. God bless.